0: Is undiagnosed and untreated dyslexia a direct pipeline to the streets, then prison? A study last year found that 80% of inmates in Huntsville, Texas state prison are functionally illiterate. 48% of those were found to be dyslexic. State Representative Bob Culp leads a legislative study committee looking into the effects of dyslexia and the impact... It is having on our K-12 through education system. Representative Culp joins us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. Good afternoon, sir. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Always a pleasure to uh, talk to people that are getting the word out about uh, topics that are sometimes not talked about. So, yes, absolutely. Delighted to be with
0: you. Well, I I don't think this is a topic that has gained too much attention, and based on the research that I've looked into, and based on what I've seen from the committee hearings so far, this is a pretty significant matter. We're going to delve into that further, and I also want to talk a little bit about transportation coming up on the podcast because obviously you are the chairman of the, the Assembly Transportation Committee. Some very interesting things that our investigators have found in terms of what the DOT is doing, what we need to reform that agency still, and some of the reforms that have been avoided, or at least not followed at the troubled Department of Transportation. We'll get into that momentarily. But this is an amazing study, and I know that your committee again, the Legislative Council Study Committee on Identification and Management of Dyslexia took a closer look at this study and others around the country. What are you finding so far in the sessions that you have held?
1: Well, what we found is that we heard, uh, I, I knew that this was an undercurrent of students who were not learning to read. And obviously, you can make that translation that if you're a first grade student and you get 50 sight words that you get and you can memorize you're you're good you're uh, on par with your with your classmates and as you progress through through second and third grade and you get more and more words where memorization of sight is no longer really how you learn to read as you slide further and further behind because you don't get the phonemic awareness and the, and the phonics and the, the things that Dyslexic students, especially, need because they learn differently. You slide behind, and well, then you've got a choice: you either start acting out, or you start uh, to uh, somehow just disengage and become, uh, you know, a, a challenge. If you don't learn to read, you find other ways to express yourself. And so, the idea of the the Legislative Council Study Committee was that to not only uh, hear what parents and, and students were saying, but then to de- develop plans to 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 fix that system just as other states have done
0: are we getting a sense that what we found in texas is happening here in wisconsin that is to say we have a good many students in our schools that are experiencing this problem they're misidentified and they are being left behind
1: i think so i mean the prison connection is certainly one of the the connections and it was interesting that study in the Huntsville, Texas prison, what um, what I know is that in 1995 we were third in rank among the states when it came to fourth grade reading scores. By 2009 we had slid to number 30, but now we're sitting at number 34. Our scores didn't decline, so the raw scores didn't decline, but other states started to say hey, there's different ways and better ways to make sure that we're not leaving children behind in those early years. So they adopted, there are over 40 states that have some form of dyslexia legislation. And Wisconsin is one of the only ones that isn't. And the testimony that we heard last Thursday in the Assembly Education Committee, we had a number of very passionate and well-informed and highly credentialed people saying that Wisconsin simply isn't progressive in this regard. So it's the need to get the word out to say, this is the path forward, these are the things we need to change, both with regards to teacher training, to uh, understanding the the dyslexic screening in the early years. And then really what we're starting out with is a guidebook that will be accessible uh, from DPI's website, as well as individual school districts, just to give parents, teachers, administrators and students the, a, a place to go, a, a source, a reference point to go to to say this is how we work through this process.
0: Mm. Representative Bob Culp Bob joining us in this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there's, there's certainly uh, a lot of folks who want to assign blame, what have you. Uh, this seems to be a problem that hasn't effectively been addressed in the state of Wisconsin education system for quite some time. All of that said, could this have been recognized earlier by the Department of Public Instruction under then-Superintendent, now Governor Tony Evers, and does this go back further into other uh, DPI, other uh, administrations of the Department of Public Instruction?
1: Well, that's a good question, and I don't necessarily, it's not my job to assign blame, but to to say that in 2009, uh, State Representative, Uh, Keith Ripp, who has been fairly public, I believe, about the fact that he actually has dyslexia or or has done, you know, that that issue, he had advanced some legislation at that point that was pretty much killed by the administration at that point. I don't know if it was at the DPI side or or if it was simply, I believe, it was in the legislature where. The, 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 the Reading Association basically said this is we're, we're doing our best. We're doing it the way it needs to be done. And I'm just delighted by the fact that the current reality has them saying maybe there is something here that we need to look at. So I'm, I'm a guy that lives in the present and doesn't try to relive the past or assign blame. And I'm just really happy with the fact that the, the compelling testimony that we heard on and that you can review on WISI has people at the point where they're saying, wait a minute you've got our attention and mm. so from here it's a matter of saying what are the best steps forward let's bring everybody on board and, and understand that we are losing our way in wisconsin and that it's going to affect not only the men- mental health angle which we haven't talked about because if you can't read you think about how that depresses you and heard testimony about that it it affects the the corrections piece it affects the economic engine that is wisconsin if we don't have Everyone on board saying we need to fix this and I think that uh, we're, we're building that momentum and getting there So I'm, I couldn't be more tickled about where we are right now.
0: Well, just think about it You mentioned the frustration the anger the embarrassment of not being able to read and it could be um, Something where you have a disorder that doesn't allow you to do that now think about that not being recognized or identified for years, if ever. And just think about by the time you get into middle school and then into high school, how frustrated you are and how much you wanna give up and give in if nobody is there to say, wait a minute, there may be something else going on here. And then what do you think the recourse is, particularly in our urban areas around the state, That's why the question is so important. What is the connection between dyslexia, misidentified dyslexia, and the social problems we have in our society today?
1: Well, I don't want to make a direct connection there, but if you think about it, dyslexia, one of the reasons that it has not been treated at the education level is because it is technically a medical diagnosis but we have other medical diagnoses that we make such as nearsightedness or, or farsightedness, for that matter or being uh hard of hearing or any number of other medical mm-hmm. diagnoses, and we make accommodations for those in the education community if you are if you are nearsighted as i was when i was a kid and i was just told that i'm just not working at it hard enough i'm just not trying hard enough think about how demoralizing that would be to you now dyslexia is the only place where you actually have the educational community can can modify their teaching style in order to get that person that is dyslexic from uh, dyslexia to being able to be given the tools and the ability to to read and to function uh whereas with you know farsightedness or nearsightedness you go to an optometrist they mm-hmm. give you with glasses and you're not told that you don't try so You know, taking, (laughs) if you can imagine a whole uh, one-fifth of the population being nearsighted and we're just telling them, tough, you know, that's okay. Uh, You just will never be able to see, that's okay. You'll never be able to read, that's okay. That's not an acceptable place for a modern society to be. And again, I'm just delighted that other states are leading the way and that we're able to catch up, and I think we'll do that. Uh, It'll take teacher training. It'll take screening from students. It'll take awareness and it'll take breaking down the barriers of uh, ego, Was mentioned a number of times in the committee hearing, and I think that's part of it. But I see those things crumbling and, and in a good way and a good dialogue happening, so I'm, I'm delighted.
0: I think some folks in uh, my generation, people of a certain age, if you will, as we continue to grow a little longer in the tooth, might be somewhat surprised that misidentification and the failures built into all of this, and not recognizing dyslexia, still exists today. I remember watching the old uh, uh, Bill Cosby show. I hope I don't trigger anybody by saying the Bill Cosby <laughs> show, but you remember his, his fictional the, his son in that show, the fictional character Theo Huxtable. Was diagnosed with dyslexia in high school. They did a whole episode on that. I'm not, I'm not saying that's shown the you know the broad light of the problem, and that we kind of went from there and followed you know the lessons learned from Theo Huxtable on The Cosby Show. But this is something that we've known about for quite some time. Why are we still at this point?
1: Well, I think that the uh, the, the the education community has had uh, the the privilege in the 90s, for instance, right, Uh, you get complacent with where you are and don't think about what you might not know and and ask questions, that you're really in the biggest danger. And I I don't want to suggest that that's the entire thing, but just, again, having the conversation at this point is good. we're at a point uh, in in Wisconsin where we haven't been on this issue, and it's a good point. And so I'm I'm just saying, yeah, let's uh, let's let's take it from here and do everything we can to make sure that that second, third, fourth grade kid, and especially boys, are the ones who tend to act mm-hmm. out more than girls. Girls sure. have a different dynamic, and we heard that kind of testimony. Let's just get mm-hmm. them all up to speed, where they can read, where they can engage, where they can turn the economic. Uh, engine of the state that's really not the more important thing the more important thing where they can be uh, healthy mentally and where they can find fulfillment outside of acting up and acting out that'll keep our prisons from being as full. so again uh, kind of repeating but from a different angle it's just it's really really critical and that's why i'm pouring my heart and soul into it
0: Excellent. State Representative Bob Culp joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. One final question. Um, The committee's work continues. What would you like to see now that you've gotten some testimony and some information on this front?
1: Well, the committee actually, uh, the work is done for the Legislative Council Study Committee, but we we came out with two bills, one basically saying that we need to have a, 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 a dyslexia specialist at DPI, which would be Uh, credentialed at least in the early piece with with the ability not only the knowledge but the credentials of understanding what dyslexia looks like and to take that out to the ceases and the schools that is a little bit of a difficult lift because uh, conservatives tend to say let's not expand government i think this is i think the juice is worth the squeeze in this one but i'm still working on that one the other one is the dyslexia guidebook but those are only two components of what we're actually going to be doing. Where we're going to be going from here is to put uh, together some some hopefully teacher training and uh, and some uh, piggybacking onto some existing grants and uh, also screening. So it, it, we, we have about five or six pieces. I'm also going to be advancing legislation to the First Step Act on the federal level funded dyslexia screening at all federal prisons mm-hmm. other states uh georgia and texas have also decided that that made sense for them to do in their state prisons i haven't gotten the fiscal note on that but i think this is an important piece of uh corrections reform which is why republican uh, senator cassidy from louisiana kind of forwarded it he's championing it and on the state level actually there is a there the uh, state uh, congressman Representative Mark uh, Pocan is a part of a dyslexia group uh, on the federal level. So, again, just kind of trying to do, there's a whole lot of angles to this, and I'm trying to pursue as many of them as carefully and and, and wisely as I can to make sure that, uh, that we get the job done that we started out to do. But the Legislative Council Study Committee's formal work is done now we pick up that ball and, and and put it into the Assembly and into the Senate, hopefully on the governor's desk.
0: Very good. So it, it sounds like there's some bipartisanship on this issue. There's some agreement and there's some ways to put politics aside and move this issue forward.
1: I'm I'm uh, hoping that that continues. Uh, the partisanship wasn't uh, what you would expect. It was actually with uh, the, uh, the Dyslexia Association and the State Reading Association at different viewpoints. It truly was a, a very uh, it was a difficult study committee to chair and I was told by people at the legislative council that it was actually one of the more difficult and contentious ones and uh, for any number of reasons. But I think we're through that, we're beyond that and we're moving ahead. So I hope this bipartisan as it relates to Republican and Democrat and we can get together and and do some really good things for the people of Wisconsin.
0: All right, very good. Let's turn our attention to transportation. A lot going on in this area, a lot going on obviously in the governor's budget. A couple of things I wanted to bring to your attention. First, uh, as the chairman of the Assembly Transportation uh, Committee, perhaps you already know these things. Uh, Maybe um, you haven't seen the updated list, but Um, Bill Osmolsky of MacGyver News Service has has, has done a tracking of um, the number of one-bid contracts that the DOT has let over the last several Mm -hmm. months. We've tracked two dozen one-bid contracts amounting to $97 million worth. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this was an area where we were supposed to see some reforms. We were supposed to see some competition infused in the process, and we're obviously not seeing that uh, so far early on in the Evers administration.
1: And and that certainly is a concern. Sometimes, I mean, we had a one-bid contract in Marshfield last year that was rejected because it was a one-bid contract. And, you know, I'm, I'm uh, outside of the state assembly. I'm a building contractor. I work on buildings, mm-hmm. and uh so, for I, I get the the reason why sometimes there aren't multiple bids, but I'll, I'll really honestly need to. I haven't seen that study or that uh, expose, they really will want to dig into that more deeply that, to understand the dynamics behind it and the why behind it. Because that is disconcerting. Is, there, is, is it because the paperwork is too high, or is it because the demand of the, uh, you know, that, that people have too much work and there's not the ability to do it, is it because of lack of shortage of workforce, which on occasion in my industry, we don't propose projects because of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking at what's behind the numbers will be telling, and then also weighing those over against what a, a 2 bid contract of a similar project would would sell for is uh, is also would be enlightening. So I I would need to dig into that more before I could comment specifically about those numbers.
0: Sure, understood. State Representative Bob Culp joining us, also the chairman of the Assembly Transportation Committee. I had an opportunity to talk to you uh, earlier this week about an interesting proposal. I think it's getting some more attention this week. Uh, It's State Representative Joe Filippo. We talk about, you know, the public's uh, desire to uh, spend more money to fix the roads that has been something that the governor campaigned on uh, and the polling shows that but also the polling shows that a majority of wisconsinites don't want to use a higher gas tax to do that (laughs) Representative Sanfilippo has an idea that would effectively transfer a portion of the money, the sales tax, 5% sale tax uh, collected in the state of Wisconsin on automobiles and automobile related sales into the transportation budget. It would be a committed source of funding and uh, it would be a gradual increase to about half of that, raising about uh, north of a half billion dollars a year eventually. What do you think about that proposal? Does it have any chance as you move forward in finding ways to fund transportation?
1: Well as as I mentioned to you yesterday I think that it is uh, really always interesting to me and good how we have so many creative minds uh, in our caucus, especially, but uh, throughout the elected uh, government uh, in, in the state. And I think this is something that I want to take a closer look at, uh, of course, before I weigh in definitively, but any way to creatively get to the point where we fund what we need to do with regards to transportation and, and do it without Ruining anything else, which is something that a 15-year slide down of half of the uh, of the sales tax gathered, I think it, it does that. Uh, I, I saw the fiscal bureau memo. I haven't had a chance to dissect it in depth because the day just got away from me the last 24 hours. But certainly, we have some very creative minds, and I applaud uh, Representative San who's who's got a great mind on his shoulders to uh, be able to put this together and to uh, to, to get a uh, fiscal bureau memo. So I think it's a good start to having that discussion. I do think that in the, in the you know, my, my position has historically been that 2006 revenues, which is what we're working on because it's not a percentage, it's a flat dollar amount per gallon, we have to at some point recognize that uh, money in 2000, or you can't buy in 2020 what you could in 2006 with the same dollars. But if there are creative ways to get there from here, I'm, I'm on board and I'll, I'll certainly want to take a look at
0: it. Well, it looks like the Transportation Secretary-designee, the governor, certainly are all in on an $0.08 cent per gallon tax, gas tax and indexing. How do you feel about that? How does your, your Assembly caucus feel about that? We're hearing more and more that maybe there is some common ground that the Assembly Republicans, at least, could reach with the governor on that front.
1: Well, you know, I, I I would not want to speak for the caucus, and I'll preface that, and mm-hmm. I'll probably suffix it by saying I will not speak for the caucus. But sure. I do know that I've been consistent, and I've been quoted in the news sources uh, in Central Wisconsin for the last five years saying basically what I just did that money you can't buy in 2020 or 2015 what you could in 2006. So I've been open to understanding that reality, providing we of course have, you know, the 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 areas of, of possible waste and, uh, you know, overspending and, and single bid contracts and the like taken care of. Um, I would say that uh, we probably have a, a better environment at the state house to be able to grapple with this and to try to come up with some decent compromise this session than we have in the past. I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Um, you know, we all like roads that are that are smooth and well cared for. And of course, everybody's standard varies a little bit on that. We do have, I think, still some of the best roads in the world, and, and, and I've traveled a lot, so I, I do get around, and I question the, um, the ranking among the states, whether that's real or supposed, but there's no question that we do need to make sure that we maintain what we have because it's an economic driver. It's very important to, uh, to getting our goods and services to where they need to get to. So uh, that's I know that's a kind of a political non-answer, Matt, uh, but uh, that's what they pay us for down there sometimes. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've answered uh, all of the relatively easy questions. Now, are you ready for the five fast questions, sir? We, this is one of our favorite segments, of course, in the MacGyver News podcast. It's what we ask all of our newsmakers. Five questions that we often say you don't have to put a lot of thought in answering because we certainly didn't put a lot of thought into uh, creating them okay
1: <laughs> you've got me waiting on the of my seat
0: well I, we hear that a lot here we go we have to make t-shirts on this thing five fast questions and question number one for state representative bob cole is if there were a draft for state lawmakers Which one would you pick last in the last round?
1: If there were a draft for state lawmakers, which would I pick? A draft as in a drafting of, uh, I'm afraid I may not be following.
0: This is like, like the, the the NFL draft weekend is sweeping. Everybody's talking about who the Packers are going to get in the first round, in the second round. But I guess I'm asking you, if we had a draft like that to draft legislators, to be on the legislative team, what lawmaker would be your pick for the last pick in the last round of that? <laughs> That You're asking who I
1: like least in the legislature?
0: I think that's probably it, yes.
1: I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> you can
0: take the fifth. They that's are, okay. Uh, there are
1: 99 wonderful people, or 98 at the State Assembly, and uh, there are some that would uh, go toward the bottom, but I'm not going to pick one of them out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this, though. Chris Larson has some problems in the secondary. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Have you ever been described, uh, yeah. sir, have you ever been described as a joker, a smoker, and or a midnight toker?
1: I have been uh, described as a joker, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good. Number three, have you ever wainscotted anything?
1: Have I ever what?
0: Wainscotted anything?
1: Wainscoted, as in, uh, like uh, you know, uh, three feet up along the wall of a building to have a different effect. Is exactly
0: for a little paneling action, perhaps in a rumpus yep. room, if you will.
1: I, I have
0: okay. Now I could ask that question to you know every lawmaker, and I only get a few people who could uh, who could honestly say that. Uh, <laughs> let me ask well, you I'm this: a
1: Throwback to a different generation.
0: <laughs> you, know? you and me, you and me, the same. Number four. Do you believe in life after love?
1: Oh, do you believe in life after love? Life after love? Right. I think that without love, life is really empty, but uh, I don't know if that answers the question.
0: I think it does. I think our panelists, yes, our panelists agree. That does answer the question. And we'd also like to send our, uh, our thanks to Cher for helping us out with that, that uh, particular question. And number five... Have you ever uttered this empty threat? Don't make me pull this car over.
1: I have not because that was a place that I didn't go. I had seven kids and uh, we had we had I think better and maybe possibly possibly more humane ways. I'm getting them (laughs) to (laughs) comply when they were kids. Thankfully, they're all gone. Laura and I are an empty nest right now, and I would never say that to my wife, or I would uh, experience uh, life after love, and that wouldn't be good.
0: Well, I think that's an excellent answer, by the way, as a married guy and as a lawmaker. Again, very politically diplomatic, I would, uh, I would say. Uh, that's the one that my old man always pulled on us, but he never did actually pull the car over. But uh, I know that there are a lot of summer trips awaiting. And by the way, familiarly speaking, congratulations are in order, as I understand it, Grandpa.
1: I have a new grandbaby, uh, my number 11th, uh, fourth uh, grandson, uh, seven granddaughters, and another one coming uh, sometime in uh, late July. So I uh, got out of the uh, hospital room with him a couple minutes ago, the second visit, and delightful to add another one to the Culp clan.
0: Well, God bless you. The Culp family is thank absolutely you. growing. So, well, we want to thank you again for joining us. A lot of important uh, areas of discussion, and I do hope that some more light is uh, uh, will be shown on this important uh, committee that was put together, the work that you did, and we'll see where it goes from there, and obviously plenty to solve on the transportation side of things.
1: Looking forward to uh, continuing to engage, and I appreciate the time you
0: took today, Mark. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back on real soon, if only to get you back to the five fast questions. You did a great job. (laughs) Thanks.
1: (laughs) You enjoy the rest of the day.
0: You do the same. That is State Representative Bob Culp, Republican Stratford, joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. I'm Matt Kittle reporting.